Hi, I'm Dr. Stan Steindl, and welcome to Compassion in a T-Shirt in Session. Today I'll be speaking with Greg Samuelson. Greg is a registered nurse and registered psychotherapist in Ontario, Canada. He has a passion for compassion-focused therapy and helped establish the Canadian network of compassion-focused therapy, which is aimed at bringing together people from across Canada and help them to learn and, and put into practice CFT. He's a therapist, supervisor, trainer, practitioner and teacher of Zen meditation and has trained and taught in martial arts for over 20 years. I'm very keen to have a chat with my friend, Greg Samuelson. Well, welcome, um, Greg, Greg Samuelson. Uh, thank you very much for um, coming on and having a chat on compassion in a t-shirt in session. <laughs> um, I'm very excited to, to speak with you. It's 7 a.m. here in, in Brisbane and I think 4 p.m. yesterday in Ontario, <laughs> Canada. So actually, how, how is the weather over there? It's a little cool. It's about minus 13, sunny and nice, though. Really nice winter's day. Minus 13 degrees Celsius. Celsius. Yeah. Mm. I, 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 we were just checking before, and I think here it's 34 degrees Celsius. So hot and humid. Other, other sides of the world, which is, which is interesting. I think we mainly first met face-to-face -face at the Compassion Summit in sparkle new york that was arranged by dennis but we kind of i think you know interacted you know by the wonderful social media thing prior to that is is that is that when we yeah i think that's correct i i knew of you on facebook and certainly your wonderful podcast with james kirby oh yes me to both of you and had lots of fun <laughs> listening to the two of you talk about compassion and yes. uh, i often direct people to the podcast to listen to guided exercises. Ah, yes, the Compassion Initiative podcast. Yeah, we, yeah. James and I were a little bit slack on that last year, unfortunately. We're, we're going to try this year, but it, it hasn't started overly well. But yeah, I remember because you gave me this wonderful cup. Um, and ah, there we go. The, Compassion, uh, the Canadian Network Compassion Focus Therapy. And I'll be keen to talk a little bit about your initiative there um, as we as we go along. But I wondered whether you could actually just start with talking a little bit about yourself, perhaps your your work, but your life, I suppose, if if you if you can, it's always interesting to hear um, where people have have come from. So yeah, what, what's the Greg Samuelson story? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I do think that how I grew up probably influenced well, obviously influenced a lot how I am today and the direction mm. I took and compassion focused therapy being interesting to me. Um, when I was young, we moved around a lot. Um, and my father was a musician. So ah. one thing that people might be surprised here is one of the uh, founding members of the Canadian Network for Compassion Focused Therapy. I was born in the United States, uh, mm. born in California. Um, we moved to Toronto by the time I was about 12 years old. But before that, we had lived in about 10 or 11 different places. Mm. Um, so my father's a musician, wherever you get a better job offer for something, you move to that place. 
Mm. Uh, so it was interesting. I became a person who could easily sort of, I think, meet, mix with, and get along with different types of people because of that, moving yeah. a lot in different situations. Um, and when I was younger, I never would have been able to tell you what I wanted to do when I grew up, really. Hmm. But one thing that when I reflect back, that I think was always consistent um, is that I always said I wanted to do something where I helped other people. Right. And so it really has sort of come around to that. And then um, mm -hmm. I did, I went to school for nursing, mm -hmm. uh, graduated in 1989. Um, okay. Before that, I had worked uh, in a group home with physically disabled adults um, and helping them with day-to-day -day needs and activities. Mm -hmm. uh, went back to school for nursing. When I went to the school for nursing, I had no idea that I'd work in the area of mental health, mm -hmm. but then found that to be most interesting uh, when I was at school. Mm -hmm. um, worked as a nurse, a mental health nurse in different areas of inpatient and outpatient mental health, uh, uh -huh. crisis services and hospital emergency rooms over the years. And then more and more over the years, got into actually having training in and doing psychotherapy right. with, uh, with clients using different models. Mm -hmm. uh, and then about, it's probably only about five years ago or so that I became mm -hmm. introduced to compassion-focused therapy. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. doing a... Uh, one-year certificate program in mindfulness and psychotherapy through the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy in the States, um, which is a wonderful program, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Dennis Church was one of the presenters to that program. Of course, and yeah. so we watched recorded lectures by Dennis, and then he presented. And I really liked the model, and I really liked the way that Dennis expressed the model. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I also liked um, that Dennis talked about is he wasn't asking us to leave behind any of the skills that we knew from other models mm -hmm. he was saying you can use everything you know and bring it into the framework mm -hmm. of compassion mm -hmm. which i really liked mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so after that i wound up doing some training that uh dennis church and laura silverstein church do on praxis mm -hmm. in the u.s and then i joined a um advanced consultation group that dennis was running Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, so that's how I sort of fell into doing this. Mm. I had had an interest in mindfulness and meditation because I've also been doing Zen meditation for the past mm, bit more than 15 years or so. Right, right. Actually, a lot of that resonates for me. I, I, I can sort of relate to that early felt sense of wanting to be helpful, you know, to, to others, you know, even as a, as a sort of a teenager, for me, it was, you know, reading Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl and, and, yeah. uh, and having chats with a, with a few key people in my life, but just that, that sense of, of being helpful. And in a funny way for, for you, and, and, and I, I feel like it, it's similar to me, it, it kind of made a full circle to, to compassion and compassion-focused therapy where that, that early helping caring you know motivation sort of fi almost finally gets a name or something you know yeah. it, it... it makes sense and i do think that cft has helped me find a way to organize the work i do with people in that way like i do mm. think those two worlds of meditation uh trying to understand ourselves and others through meditation but then having a framework that to me cft is a therapeutic model that is just very straightforward and very practical mm -hmm. it doesn't ask me to intellectualize too much it asks me to be curious about things 
mm-hmm. um, and think about things that I'm feeling and that I'm noticing other people are feeling and that we're feeling together. Yeah. But it doesn't demand a really complex overlay of, oh, all, all sorts of hoops to jump through. And that mm. really, really appealed to me. Mm. And very experiential, isn't it, in that sense? You know, it, it's it's got a number of set pieces, as they say, that that really help people feel it. I suppose, and experience it, you know, in, in the in the session. And, and there can be some of that psychoeducation stuff, which, which can get people thinking a little bit as well. But then there's these follow up set pieces that, that you know, I think is, is really useful. And I agree, too, with the other or another point you made, which is that actually, you know, CFT um, kind of plays very nicely with other approaches or, or even integrates in and, and you, we, we, we can do the things that we might have done before, but just in a compassion focused way as well. And I, I find that a very um, helpful aspect to it. Having said that, I do find myself more and more, um, you know, just doing CFT <laughs> in a way I find. Yeah, I think I do as well. I think I used to be doing like maybe some CBT and bringing in compassion or um, in the clinic I work at full time for a large mental health hospital. Um, we do DBT informed therapy and interpersonal psychotherapy for depression and so on. Uh, but in my private practice, it tends to be more just CFT mm-hmm. um, is enough. And then once in a while, I'll bring in one of those ideas from one mm. of those other therapies as it fits for the client and is helpful for them. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, but uh, CFT explains enough for me. And I do think the benefit of the experiential practices and feeling things in session with a therapist and practicing responding to it differently or attending to it differently is really, really powerful for clients. Mm-hmm. So, so just sort of dive in a little bit more to, to that bit, if, if, you, if you can, just, just the, the clinical application there for you. What, what, what sorts of, where do, how do you use CFT clinically or um, your work as a therapist and, and so on? Well, I use CFT with, almost every client I work with now. So I have a few different practice settings. So my full-time job is at a satellite clinic of a large mental health hospital, mm-hmm. uh, an hour away from the mental health hospital. I always joke mm-hmm. with people that the best way to work for a large organization is an hour away from the large organization <laughs> where you can get the support when you need it, but you're working fairly independently. Yes. Um, there we do have some prescribed models that we're supposed to use with different right. populations. Um, But then I also do work for a clinic in Toronto called the Mindfulness Clinic, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a clinic Dr. Paul Kelly founded that employs about 30 psychotherapists, Mm. uh, right now all working virtually, but usually seeing clients Mm. in person in downtown Toronto, and Mm. my own private practice, GPS psychotherapy. Mm. Um, I have the benefit because of my experience and the clinic I work in in my full-time job, I've worked with people experiencing almost any type of difficulty. Right. So people experiencing anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. um, oh, people with uh, different types of psychotic disorders. Mm-hmm. And I have found that, so it's given me the opportunity to try using CFT with mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. And I really have found that it's helpful to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's, well, it's, it's that notion of really, um, you know, human suffering and the way that compassion mm-hmm you know, is, is kind of applied just every, everywhere. And, and, um, uh, and I, I do feel too that the, a lot of those 
core principles are, are widely applicable. Do you mm -hmm. notice? Do you notice any particular? Because one of the areas I'm I'm sort of quite interested in is is the you know the challenges that 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 we might have with with our clients or or that they might have with with the approach and of course fears blocks and resistances are an Im, important part of that and and uh, I've been sort of putting my mind to this a little bit lately because in some ways while it's very prominent the idea of working with fears blocks and resistances in CFT. The, the, the tin tacks of how to do it, you know, a, a sort of mm. can sometimes feel a bit elusive. I mean, there are some, some key bits to that as well, I guess. But I, I was just really interested, especially across what sounds like a very diverse population. You know, what do you find with, with some of those, those challenges or, or how do you work with them? Mm. I think the interesting thing is like you're saying, the universality of human suffering and there is also a certain uh, commonality or universality of some of the fierce blocks and resistances, right? Yeah. So a lot of the fierce blocks and resistances that I encounter in clients are the same ones I have, right? right? You know, fears of, uh, oh, am I, am I not good enough? Um, yeah. Oh, Dr. Stan Steinle's asked me to talk to him about <laughs> CFT. What do I know about CFT? What do I have to share? Uh, what are people going to think of what I have to say? You know, so... Am I good enough? Am I going yes. to be respected? Um, what if people don't really care about me? So, I mean, clients express these same things. And I do think, mm. uh, well, as, as Paul Gilbert, the founder, would say, we all have sort of these archetypal images, but also archetypal fears mm. often. And then, of course, people have specific fears, blocks, and resistances based on their previous experiences in life, what they've mm. gone through, what life has taught them about other people and whether other people are safe or unsafe mm. you know people are craving connection and closeness but uh if if closeness has a scary aspect for it to them yeah. I, I do think it's different with different clients and maybe it depends sort of on the client's orientation with some clients i tend to look at and talk to them about um fierce blocks and resistances in more of a, a cognitive way helping them understand them and sort of restructure them Yes. With some people, it is doing the experiential exercises like some imagery or chair work and getting to talking to the part that has that fear um, and then learning to extend some compassion to that part. So I always mm. talk to people about that what we're trying to do in CFT or, in fact, I think in most models is we're just by doing these exercises sort of externalizing the psychological process that we'd like to see going on when somebody's coping well with something. Um, so if they can have that compassionate part of themselves come up, uh, be helpful to that part of themselves as the anxiety, the fear, the sadness, mm. and I think that can be very powerful and it, mm. and it sounds so simple, but it is in the practice that it becomes really, really powerful. Yeah. Actually, you, the, the, the point I think in, in amongst there, what you're making really is that actually fears, blocks and resistances are, are themselves just another expression of you know sort of the the the, the human mind and and things like threat system or, or other aspects that we're kind of working with anyway in a whole range of ways and and so in a sense we're just approaching those those inhibitors in you know similarly we, we might use mm. psychoeducation or you know kind of explain a little bit about how what they are and how they work we might use some cognitive work and explore thoughts and 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 you know sort of perhaps even 
respond to some of that. We might do imagery work or other experiential work as well that, that helps to, to sort of create an experience of something different. But it's, it's actually, you know, that, that's, that is the work really, isn't it, in a way, is, in, in CFT, is, is working through those fears, blocks and resistances and then compassion sort of really just bubbles up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you expressed that really nicely. And um, I also think that it's the idea expressing to people, uh, it's related to and goes with, it's not your fault, given that we have these tricky brains, and we don't choose our early childhood experiences and, and so on. But I do also think it's this idea that, um, that the acknowledging and validating someone's experience that like, mm. well, of course, it makes sense that you're feeling that way. Mm. It makes sense that given um, the evolutionary functions of different emotions and how they're supposed to motivate us, yeah. that of course you feel anxious and nervous in that situation. Of course you feel sad in that situation. And it makes perfect sense that you don't want to have that sad part. So it's sort of off to the side, not integrated. But yeah. why don't we see if we can get a little closer and understand it? Mm. Yeah, it's sort of, it makes sense. It's valid. Uh, me too, even, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it's that, that common common humanity um, aspect to to all of that um, empathy our ability to then sort of empathize with and mentalize perhaps a little bit with what that other person is going through and then also sympathize too you know like actually I was thinking this morning my goodness I have to speak to Greg Samuelson you know like what what if I seem stupid to him and ask dumb questions <laughs> so you know our, our oh, sort yeah. of our two little not good enough brains on either side of the world. Yeah, it is true. In so many ways, we're all just going through the same things internally, aren't we? Mm, yeah. And actually, I, I, I remember uh, for me early, the, the, the main fear block and resistance type thing that, that emerged was uh, uh, just feeling undeserving in that sense mm. of, of compassion and, and even my own compassion. I, I was at... Um, uh, the it was actually mindful self-compassion retreat with uh, Kristen Neff and Chris Germer mm. and um, I remember expressing this this concern and and Chris said something like um, you know oh well you you'll always feel undeserving we're <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> like thank you very said, much <laughs> yeah but he said it'll what'll change is how you relate to yourself when you when you feel undeserving and and that was like you know it's sort of a bit of a light bulb moment really that that you know like how do we and that's sort of what you're saying you know too is is how do we sort of relate to these parts of ourselves that are absolutely legitimate make perfect sense completely valid um and we can sort of you know manage those yeah and then if you relate to that part differently then of course and if you accept that part that it makes sense that that part's there and it's okay that it's there like say an anxious part um then the distress related to that tends to come down, which mm -hmm. is really nice to see. Mm. Yeah, I will tell you one thing that was helpful to me when you're yeah. talking about uh, your experience with Chris Germer is two years ago when you and Marcella did that uh, part of the workshop on uh, understanding and relating to shame memories. Yes, yeah. Because that really did help me in understanding why I sometimes feel undeserving. Yeah. when I thought back to some of the shame memories that I hadn't necessarily identified as shame memories, mm. where I just had thought of them as being like, oh, that wasn't a pleasant thing that happened. Yeah. But I wasn't, mm. I wasn't labeling or thinking of it as shame, but when I look back, I was like, 
oh yeah, that experience probably did make me feel mm. a little bit less than, a little mm. bit mm. unwanted. And so it mm. makes sense then why that stays with me. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> you know, we often research the things that are, are somewhat relevant to us, don't we? And so that's that's been the thing for me. Yeah, I, I, I've found it really invaluable exploring that idea of, I mean, really Marcella, you know, sort of, has come up with that in a sense, you know, along with Paul and and uh, her other supervisor Jose uh, Pinto Guevara. But they, you know, this idea of shame memories and that they have traumatic qualities and that they can become central to how we see ourselves. And and that I feel is a very helpful thing for me too to just sort of notice that and see how we are shaped by experiences. And and it it, it kind of sort of lingers a little bit shame and feeling undeserving i think is a big thing for me yeah it makes well. sense that it does and it keeps us so stuck in yeah. moving forward in some ways and helping clients understand that it keeps us stuck and the difference between shame and guilt you know that mm. shame has to do with seeing ourselves as not good enough or something wrong with ourselves and uh again it, it does seem to me though in the model and just practically speaking it comes back to identifying those parts and extending them some compassion yeah. just really uh it, it sounds too easy but it really is that straightforward yes 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 well actually that's that's my next question uh really was was what, what have you found in terms of you know kind of su successes or or triumphs or or, or sort of you know, especially maybe in, in clinical work, but elsewhere as well, where, where CFT, you know, has, has really helped or, or that, that you, you've witnessed, you know, change in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing is just with clients in general, I see CFT being helpful to, I think everybody I've worked with using CFT. Mm. Um, so it's, it's always really nice as far as, um, you know, helping people with anxiety, feel a little bit less anxious, be less distressed by their anxiety helping people make sense of their experience, mm. um, helping people learn ways that they can um, create or enhance their own internal resources mm -hmm. to feel you know, safe base and a secure attachment within themselves when they're having difficult times, mm. uh, while at the same time connecting with others who are helpful to them, but not just depending on others. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really nice and helpful. I do think uh, in our society, uh, in North America and in Canada, we tend to be sort of very independent and self-reliant. Mm. Um, so then, you know, sometimes allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with other people. And I think the model can help people to mm -hmm. feel encouraged to connect with others in that way. So mm. clinically, it's been great. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As far as helping other clinicians oh, understand yeah. compassion, I've really enjoyed that as well. The idea of helping with the Canadian network. Mm -hmm. um, I think I mentioned to you earlier that um, Leanne Rondeau um, had had an idea. She had put an email actually on the Compassionate Mind email list at one point saying, are there any other Canadian clinicians out right. there who would be interested in connecting? And I sent her an email said, saying, yes, and why don't we find more? Right. And yeah. so we just started putting out some emails and uh, had, I guess, about three years ago or so, maybe a little bit more than that had a video conference meeting of uh, some interested therapists online. And then we started an online uh, peer support group mm -hmm. for people who are interested in learning about and using CFT in their practice. Some people already were, and some people were uh, more wanting to develop their skills. 
And then that translated to a little bit of a growth, which has really been gratifying to see. Mm. So currently, um, well, we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. We really are just a very loose network of, uh, you know, professionals using the model. There's no really defined structure. Right. Um, but we have the Facebook group and page. Um, Dr. Kimberly Soggy in Ottawa has uh, right now an online uh, CFT peer support group that meets regularly. Uh, we were having regular meetings in Toronto in person that have been since the pandemic started mm. on Zoom, which has been wonderful as well because uh, we've had our colleagues from uh, South America join us, some from the United States. Mm. Um, Ellie from uh, who leads the CFT peer group in Greece yes. was in our last in our last Toronto meeting. So yes. it's lovely to see her. Yes, she will be uh, on the Compassion in a T-shirt in session. <laughs> nice. Lined up. Nice. Yeah, we've also had some wonderful um, people come forward and offer to give webinars um, and and very free with their time. So Dr. Allison Kelly, who's in uh, mm -hmm. University of Waterloo in Ontario, who does research into um, CFT and eating disorders. Yep. Uh, she did a webinar for us. Dr. Darcy Harris, who's a professor of thanatology yes. at um, Western University in Ontario. Um, and those can actually be found on our YouTube channel if you're interested in looking uh -huh. at them. Uh -huh. Yeah. Actually, so, what I will do is I'll, I'll put all of these links in the description below on, on, on the YouTube. Uh, page my YouTube page and and people can link in with with yours and also some of those those other other um, uh, sort of resources there I mean it, yes it sounds like you have actually you know spawned if that's the right word a very vibrant um, you know CFT community right around Canada which is a huge place too yeah so we've got a, a few members we've got uh, Colleen Allison in British Columbia on the west coast who uh she, her interest uh, she's done a ton of training with Russell Colts on with Paul Gilbert um her interest is in uh, CFT for trauma and PTSD mm -hmm. um we've got some members on the east coast we're always welcome and trying to fill in any gaps in the country because of course we have many different time zones yes. so people supporting people locally would be a wonderful thing um the opportunity to have some workshops as well. So Tobin Bell did yes. a uh, therapeutic chair work workshop for us uh, in the summer two years ago, just after you saw him in New York. He came oh, out to Toronto right. and then toured around uh, Canada a little bit. And then he and Matt Pugh just recently did a um, online workshop for people in Canada on therapeutic chair work and online adaptations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was quite nice. And, and we have this wonderful fellow, Paul Gilbert, right now doing uh, 12 weeks of training with us on using uh, compassion focused therapy in groups. Ah, hmm. is that a sort of a, how, how much is each session? How long is each session? Just an hour for each session. An hour for 12. So there were some Canadian clinicians who uh, do group programs in um, the community and also in hospital outpatient programs mm. who had talked about wanting to use the model in groups, but wanting yeah. to have the foundation of some training mm. uh, using the model in groups. Mm. And so after doing some exploring and trying to figure out who could do that for us, Paul was kind enough to, to offer to train us on uh, using CFT in groups, which is mm -hmm. really, really nice and really generous of him. We really appreciate mm. that. Yeah. And so that's wonderful. I always enjoy hearing Paul talk about the model. It is uh, 
a lot of information coming through you through the, the pipeline of his brain very quickly. And, uh, and I always find I sit with it and I understand it more and more as I sit with it, which is wonderful. It's, it's terribly stimulating to listen to Paul speak, isn't it? You know, whether it's yeah. him doing a presentation or, or, you know, sort of over, a, over a cup of coffee or dinner or something, you know, like he's, he's very, um, very interesting and, and has such a, a sharp mind. I, I was lucky, <clears throat> lucky enough to do that CFT and groups face to face when he was here in Australia last, just before the pandemic. So um, nice. that was that. I, yeah, it's a really great, uh, you know, kind of adaptation of of the approach. I think um, mm -hmm. very useful. Yeah, I think it will be very useful for a lot of folks uh, who are working and doing work using CFT. Uh, mm. The latest thing I've moved into is doing a little bit of supervision of people mm -hmm. who are interested in using CFT. So started a couple of small online supervision groups mm -hmm. and so really enjoying helping other people become more familiar with the model and thinking about how they would use the model with the clients that they're working with. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing about you, Greg, that I, I've, I've really known from the start is, is just your sort of enthusiastic and energetic um, you know, and, and passionate wish to spread the news and to connect with people and to, to, to really, uh, you know, kind of have people aware and, and involved, you know, in, in this whole mm. CFT thing, you, you've, you've become along with your colleagues and, and so on. I know you're also very humble about it, but uh, you know, that you've become, you know, really a, a driving force there, I think in, in Canada and around the world really as, as a, a sort of proponent in this stuff. So really have always appreciated that and also just your support of me and James and so on you know in some of those earlier years and and more recently so um yeah thank you for all of that that really great work oh well thank you for saying that that really is quite kind of you it's um I mean I really it, it is interesting because the way that our uh, our tricky brains work mm. um I don't really things that I already know I've realized I don't really I don't really value that I know what I already know, if that makes uh -huh. sense. Yeah. And, I, and I think I've heard that, you know, explained that, uh, you know, our evolved brain sort of wants us not to overvalue our past achievements. So we can sort of like, well, we're going to keep moving forward right. yeah. with things. But I mean, I do, it is interesting. We reflect on why we do these things. We reflect on uh, our motivations for things because, uh, you know, I'd be disingenuous if I said, oh, well, I didn't do it a little bit because I, I want people to like me and think I know what I'm saying and so on. But really my main motivation is still like when I was a kid, when I realized yeah. to be helpful to other people. And if I can be helpful to the clients I work with individually, because that's really where my passion is, is using this model in individual psychotherapy with clients. Mm. Um, but then if I can help other people who are interested in the model, understand it, and then transfer that to them being helpful to other people or enhancing their already wonderful skills of being helpful with other people, then I do feel like I've done something of value, that mm. really there's something positive that I've done, that there's a ripple effect that makes makes a difference. Mm. I, I think it's a nice combo of, you could say, drive and soothing, you know, in a way. It, it's a, it is um, a bit of drive, and I feel that too, you know, wanting to <clears throat> sort of having aspirations and, and um, 
you know, feeling sort of good about achievements and 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 seeking, you know, approval. <laughs> the un <clears throat> the undeserving self constantly, you know, wanting a little bit of that. But really, too, it it is the soothing system, bringing people together, and that sense of affiliation and and you know, feeling safe and content and happy and curious and exploring and open together uh, is a big part of it. Absolutely, I think that's probably why um doing this networking in canada has been very important to me i do realize that the sense of community is very very mm. important to me and the different there are a few different areas of my life so i think i mentioned to you in a previous email so i i do some martial arts and mm. and i love doing the martial arts and i find them very interesting and stimulating but it is a sense of community with the mm -hmm. people that i do it with that is really the most important thing and our and our martial art our our teacher actually talks about it as being a family Mm -hmm. um, and, and then uh, the Zen practice that I go to with my teacher at his Zen temple as well. It, it is the community of people, the Sangha of people that practice together. Mm -hmm. That's what's most important to me um, because I'm practicing along with these people. I'm not just doing my practice in the midst of other people. Mm -hmm. And it really highlights, doesn't it, that uh, sort of, you know, some sometimes that's that piece is really missing for, for, for people, you know, that, that piece of social connection and, and a sense of, of safeness or, or warmth or, um, you know, the, let alone things like the, having a sense of security with others or the, the safe haven type stuff you, you mentioned briefly before, you know, that's, that's the thing, isn't it, is that it's missing and, and sometimes has always been missing. And, and so compassion focused therapy really tries to, to work in that space. Yeah, I do think it's it's so important. I mean, so many of the people I work with doing individual therapy have, yeah, felt the lack of that. And often mm. I think the work in therapy is about also talking to people about, yeah, where do they feel a lack? Where do they feel something's missing? What mm. would they like to cultivate more of? Mm. Um, and I mean, I do think that in some ways our online presences have only compounded those problems for a lot of people. I work with mm. a lot of younger adults who um, many of their friendships and even romantic relationships are solely online mm. and they've never met these people in person. Um, one person I'm working with right now, she's identified, I worked with her a few years back when she was a bit younger and she's mm. still quite young compared to me. Uh, but she's had a realization back then, she didn't think that in-person relationships were important to her. And now she's realized, well, yeah, I think it feels a bit different mm. to be with a person. And so we were talking about that the other day. Mm. And then of course, this pandemic, this global pandemic that mm. has actually in some ways mandated that we not, not see the people we're already well connected with mm. has made things even more difficult for folks. Mm. Yes, I, I feel, you know, deep gratitude for how, and, and sort of lucky in terms of how things have panned out here in Australia. It, it, it's, we, we, we did have a significant period of lockdown last year, but uh, since then we've been very lucky with the, the pandemic and so still able to be out and about and, and sort of seeing people with various, you know, social distancing and, and uh, sanitizing and, and uh, contact tracing and all that sort of stuff. But still able mm -hmm. to see people and I, I, I know that in, in other places of the world it just has been a, a, a massive hit on, on that whole social safeness, social connection. Yeah, un unfortunately here 
Um, things haven't been terrible. They haven't been as bad as just to the south of us, but mm. they haven't been great. I think that you guys did a better job of locking down harder and longer in the beginning. That helped mm. you get out of this. Um, unfortunately, we are in a lockdown right now that will probably be ending soon. But uh, back in the spring, we had a lockdown where when I'd go out for a little jog, the streets were empty. Yeah. And you could really tell you're in a lockdown. Mm. Now, it doesn't seem like the traffic's reduced. People are still out. And uh, you see people standing on street corners, walking their dogs, just fairly close together, talking with each other. And I've been talking to clients about uh, you know, the idea of exposure with response prevention and how uh, you know habituation to something mm. that makes scared scared. And really, I think part of the difficulty here is the dissonance between people maybe intellectually knowing they should be scared uh, or cautious but that this has been going on for so long that they're not staying away from it. Mm. It's just become part of, part of life, but not part of a life in that they're being cautious about it, part of life in mm. that they've dropped off the caution. Mm. Is that habituation in a way, like you say, yeah. has, has kind of kicked in. I mean, do you, do you notice personally how CFT or, or compassion stuff kind of, gets into you i mean what how how has things changed personally because of your involvement there i think i am more comfortable with letting myself feel some of the feelings that i don't like to feel hmm. uh for me that's really sadness um anxiety i think i've always known a little bit what to do with how to hmm. soothe myself calm myself uh, ground myself a little bit but sadness i think when i was a little bit younger was something that I would push off to the side and not want to look mm. at. Mm. Um, but now understanding that sadness is okay, that it has a place. Mm. And I tell clients, I will now talk to myself. Uh, mm. I will have a little conversation, either driving the car, uh, talking out loud to myself or um, in my head where I will actually just say things like, you know, it's, it's okay. Of course you feel that way. It's a hard situation, but I care about you. We're going to get through this together. We've gone through it before. And just saying little things like that to myself just helped me feel better. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think for me, it's anger. Mm. Um, it's, 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 it's sort of a curious thing to, to sort of ponder. I haven't really thought about that before. But I, I, I'm uh, sadness and, and anxiety for me are probably things that I've, you know, kind of worked around a little bit but but ever since i was a little kid anger was the thing that that i sort of struggled the most with both mm. anger and its relationship with shame i'd say is is mm. kind of the the tricky one for me but yeah it's interesting i find for a lot of the people that i work with it can be the early messages we get about anger and whether it's okay to yeah. show anger, to express anger. I know my anger probably doesn't, I don't probably never come out with like really obvious anger, but my anger probably comes out more as just like um, sarcastic self, sarcastic criticism of others. Okay. Uh, and, a caustic uh, tongue. Yeah. So it's a little, it's a little more subtle, but it's definitely there. Um, and yeah, it does that, that shame piece where I, either shame or guilt depending on how mm. you're feeling about it but uh yeah definitely that feeling bad about it afterwards because yes. uh 
it's not my compassionate motivation is not always awake when that mm -hmm. happens. Yes. And, and I do talk to clients and, and other therapists now about, of course, you can be angry and still operate from your compassionate motivation. You can be sad or anxious and still operate from a compassionate mm. motivation. Um, so it doesn't mean at all having to get rid of those emotions. Mm. This means, you know, how do I, given that I'm really angry at this person, and I feel like the anger is justified in this situation. How can I be as helpful as possible to myself mm. and not be too harmful to the other person in the process? Because I do want mm. to maintain a relationship with that person. But how yeah. do I stand up for myself? Because again, there's a reason you feel angry and anger is there to motivate you in a positive way to stand up for yourself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and um, Paul Gilbert uh, has in in his group work the compassionate assertiveness, doesn't he? And, that, and the role of that, and and this notion that uh, ag aggression, anger, and aggression might arise out of the threat system, but assertiveness actually is not just between submission and and aggression, mm -hmm. um, but rather you know we both of which are kind of like fight flight in a sense, the, the yeah. threat system. But assertiveness actually arises out of the soothing system, that, that sense of connection and wanting to stay connected and, and um, wanting to have that kind of win-win experience. It's, it's not just middle. It's not just in the middle. It's actually a mo moving to that compassionate motivation. And I love how you said that, you know, that just sort of noticing, oh, okay, my compassionate motivation, you know, isn't awake. I think you said, mm. I, I think that's really nice just to sort of rouse it again, you know, and-, and yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's like maybe maybe they're the the coals or the embers there, but maybe they need uh we have to take the bellows of our intention and uh, wake them up a little bit. <laughs> yes, the bellows of our intention. Yeah, okay, that that's great. So one of the things that I'm sort of asking uh, of you, or and and of the the, the guests on compassion in a t-shirt in session, is for three tips. So for, for people watching and, and um, you know, uh, one, one of the ideas of, of this particular YouTube channel is, is kind of to be helpful for people who are on something of a compassionate journey. You know, they're, they're sort of learning about it, um, discovering it, you know, cultivating it in themselves. And, and you know, it's, it's tricky and interesting and, and kind of inspiring, but also, you know, there's vulnerability there as, as you alluded to. So, yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd ask you too, you know, what, what might be three tips that you would offer uh, for people on their compassionate journey? Mm. Well, I think the first thing is just learn about the model, like learn some of the basics of the model. If you want to use CFT in helping yourself or helping others, um, mm. there are some wonderful books out there. By the way, congratulations on your recent uh, publication. I can't wait to get a copy. Yes, thank you. Yeah. But I certainly recommend getting that book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And then other wonderful books, like I often recommend to people, um, you know, Russell Colt's CFT Made Simple as a Starting Place. Um, mm. Certainly the um, uh, Compassion Focus Therapy from the Inside Out for self-practice, self-reflection. Mm. But also find people you can learn with. So I guess mm. the second tip is, like, find a little bit of a community. Find mm. people that you can learn alongside with, that you can talk about you know, your successes and your struggles in using the model, how you're understanding the model. It's always good to be in community with people who can, 
who can say, really, you're understanding it that way? You're, mm. you're trying to apply it that way? Well, I do it this way. Mm. And uh, you know, they can help correct our misunderstandings or maybe we help them in that way as well. Mm. And I think the other tip is if you want to use CFT as a therapist, just once you have some learning and a little bit of knowledge under your belt, jump in. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we're a little scared, hesitant, and feel a little too vulnerable when we've just learned something new. Uh, and we're worried about, can I be effective in using this? Am I going to be helpful to this client? Am I, am I somehow going to be harmful because I'm using something that I haven't used before? But that hasn't been my experience. I think the clients are pretty open to things when we come with our genuine motivation to mm. be helpful to them in session. And um, then your understanding and your skill will grow over time. Mm. Oh, th- those are really, really wonderful. Yeah, learning about the model finding people to then learn and practice with and then kind of jumping in and, and getting started with it. And, and uh, I, I, I think for, from a CFT and a therapist point of view, that's, that's very true, but also from a, a, a compassion in daily life point of view as well, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of um, jumping in and and giving it a go and and sort of it's it's a little bit you know give it a try reflect learn you know put it back into practice again and and um especially with certain parts of of the cft approach you know there are there are some bits that feel easier to engage with you know like some of the psychoeducation or the three circles model but even some of that that you know talking to myself stuff that you mentioned before you know the, Mm. the multiple selves uh, work the chair work just just jumping in and and trying it I think is is great yeah because it can feel a little unfamiliar and a little strange because the unfamiliarity of somebody hasn't done a lot of imagery work with people before yeah or chair work and I mean so often I'll phrase it that way with clients I'll say you know I'll have explained that there are these things we do but then when it comes to chair work I'll just say to them uh, well do you think what about trying this what mm-hmm. are you are you ready to just give it a go? Let's see what mm. happens. Mm. And, and usually they're pretty willing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think I was a little fortunate in the guiding the imagery exercises and so on that I had the background in meditation and also teaching yeah. meditation as yes. part of that world. So I felt a little familiar and comfortable with guiding people through something that feels like a meditation exercise. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's really wonderful, Greg. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you of course uh you know uh, your point there about social connection and people to learn with and so on i've i've definitely missed everyone you know not being able to to see anyone for over a year now in the in the in the broader international cft community so i of course that's my sneaky little sort of motive here is to be able to talk to you guys and to, to speak with you again face to face yeah, it's really nice to connect with you. This last fall was going to be, this was going to be the year that I was going to make it to the Compassionate Mind Conference in the UK. And then, <laughs> you know yeah. what they say about your plans, right? When yep. you, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Realize, um, yeah. But yeah, I will really look forward to seeing you again, either in New York or in England. Yeah, um, it'll happen. It'll be so nice to get together again in person and just see everybody and share stories and connect. Mm. It, it, it really is a, a wonderful family. Uh, so if people were wanting to be in touch or engage with your work, and you, you mentioned a number of things earlier as well, but, but yeah, what would be the best way for people to, to do that? 
the best way to get in touch with me directly is just um, to email me at either uh, gpspsychotherapy at gmail.com or cftcan, so cftcan at gmail.com. Okay, great. Uh, I'll give you the links for the Facebook that you can put up. Um, if there are Canadian therapists who watch this and are interested in connecting, I am always interested in helping people connect with each other. Yes. Um, so yeah, please get in touch. Don't hesitate. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, yes, I'll definitely include all of that in the, the description below, as they say. All right, Greg. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for um, putting some this time aside on, on your Sunday afternoon. And um, we will see you again soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Stan. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Good. Thanks, mate.